when you start to peel away, you know, the layers of the onion and you start to sort of unpick what, what, what does that word mean and what does that word mean to different customers? Um, you know, what constitutes a great relationship to a customer? It, you know, becomes really interesting. And once you start to go into that world, you can then start to figure out, well, how can I align to the types of characteristics you know, values, mindsets, whatever we'd like to talk about, you know, in order to try and be more successful with, with my client. And that's quite a sophisticated process of doing that. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Philip Squire. Phil is the CEO of Consalia, which is a global sales performance improvement company. And I have to admit, I always enjoy it when Phil comes on the show, we get an opportunity to talk about selling. And in our conversation, we're talking about this topic. How do salespeople know if they're selling to their customers in a way the buyer wants? So we start by examining the question, what do buyers want from sellers? And as you learn, it's not more selling skills as Phil shares. Buyers want values from sellers, values and mindset. So we dive into the positive values that my buyers want from sellers, including authenticity, client-centricity, proactive creativity, and tactful audacity. And we explore the four negative values that buyers unfortunately experience in their interaction with sellers way too often. That's manipulation, being seller-centric, being complacent, and being overtly arrogant. So again, details of all of these and much, much more. But before we get to Phil, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help with that. And let's jump into it with Phil Squire. Phil, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Andy. Yeah, I can't quite believe that you've invited me back a second time. What what happened? Did you forget the first time? <laughs> well, wait a minute. Is this the second time or the third time? Well, I know that we've invited you to one of our podcasts. So this right. is the third time we've been together okay. on a podcast. Right. But the second time you've actually sort of held the mic so to speak <laughs> yeah yeah <Controlling>. so <laughs> yeah so for people who didn't hear the first time you're on the show uh yeah tell people about you and what you do well i'm the ceo of consalia uh, we're a sales business school located in london and singapore and um yeah we um yeah we train and develop many many hundreds of salespeople. Uh, I guess our mission is very much to try and elevate the profession of sales. And so sales education for us is a, is a way that we do that. Um, and we do that through partnering with universities. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so that's what we do. All right. So <laughs> you said Consalia, but see, I, I would, I, I just presumed it was Consalia because you're in sales training. Anyway. Oh, it's funny. No, the name uh, we, um, so Consalia is a joint venture between three um, businesses, a UK business, a Spanish business and a Latin, uh, sorry, Italian business. Oh. And we, we decided to form the joint venture and then we had to come up with a name for the joint venture. Okay. And we spent quite a bit of time. We wanted to choose a name that hadn't been invented before. Right. And so it took us quite a long time because most names, you know, you Google it and someone's thought of it. 
Right. And then one of our uh, sort of Southern European, one of the two Southern Europeans came up with the consalia, you know, from yeah. consultancy and alia. Right. So, so that's I... where, that's the history of consalia. <laughs> and so we've yeah. been able to register that, that as a name, uh, you know, in various web domains around the world. And no one's, no one's got it because it's just purely invented. Yeah. Well, at least it doesn't have like an X in it or something, you know, uh, like most yeah. tech companies. But it could so, be Consalia, yeah, as in that's sales. What, but, that's yeah. what I thought. That's where I thought it came from. <laughs> that's anyway. okay. Yeah. All right. We'll stop boring the listeners with that story. Yes. So, okay. Um, well, today we're going to talk about a topic I, I love, which is how do salespeople know if they're selling to their customers in a way that the buyer wants? And I think you and I share a lot of agreement on on this perspective that the buyer should drive how you sell. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's uh, it's something that that sort of was was quite interesting during the early stages of my um, my sort of doctorate um, project was was uh, investigating from the buyer's perspective how they wanted to be sold to and. Right. Uh, and it, it, it's interesting when you start to go into the research, you, you sort of realize you, you start looking at what other research is being conducted on the topic of sales and you get into all sorts of academic journals and see what the academics are doing to research the topic. And most times the theories of sales practice are based on perceptions of what salespeople think they need to do in order to sell. <laughs> well, I would say that I would say the 99% of the sales training industry is based upon that. Perspective. I, I would it's, agree. Yeah. Right. It's some, some person's idea about how they think they sell. That's right. And they, I mean, they could be incredibly successful people, but sure. um, you know, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, 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 you know, from my point of view, and I know we share the same, you know, the same views on this. Um, it's, it's not the right place to start. You know, surely you should start from the customer and work backwards. And well, you'd and think, right? You, you would so, think that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for several reasons. One is, you know, from your research and other people's research, uh, you know, Challenger talks about this as, you know, I think Challenger was what, 53% of the buying purchase decision is based on the, buyer's experience with the individual seller. And I yeah. actually think that's low these days, especially in competitive markets where yes. the customer's perception of the products and their features and functions of pricing are all virtually the same. I think yeah. that buying experience actually is, is more decisive than 53%. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that. And I think that, um, it, you know, particularly with the pandemic, I think the the whole topic of uh, the relational aspects of, of how salespeople sell, uh, how buyers buy is becoming even more important um, right. uh, as well. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's... It's a, perhaps it's an overused term, this sort of relationships, you know, in, in the sense oh, that one can skip over the term fairly quickly. But what does it really mean? You know, what does that mean? Well, gosh, we could spend <laughs> a long time, yeah. days on that alone. I mean, it's, yeah. it's you know, there's such a, a I don't know, stubborn block of people in the sales world that when they hear relationships, the only thing that comes to mind is friendship. Right? Yeah, it's like, yeah, oh yeah. Goodness, I mean, in this, this, we'll get to this issue because this this speaks to I think 
what really is one of the central issues in, in helping sellers improve is this inability to, th- <laughs> I don't know, uh, someone used the term recently, yeah, more cognitive sophistication, right, in terms of how you perceive the world is is really really the difference maker, I think, for for people that succeed in, in multiple forms in life, and I think in sales in particular, right? And this, this yeah, inability yeah. to you know, look beyond uh, a definition of relationship purely as a friendship is... Yes, I, I think that's, uh, you know, that's, that's partly it. And I think a, a lot of people, when they talk about relationship selling, you know, tend to think that that's, that is the, you know, the friendship angle is what we mean by relationships. But um, from, from the work that I've done, and I think also believe from the work that you've done and mm-hmm. your observations, um, you can have great relationships, but actually it doesn't help you sell. You know, you know, customers are looking for, you know, for different types of relationships. And, and, uh, when I talk about relationships, you sort of break it down into, the four, you know, the four mindsets. Right, and which we're going to get to. Yeah, which yep. we'll get to. But it's it's interesting that there is, um, you know, there, when you start to peel away, you know, the layers of the onion and you start to sort of unpick what, what, what does that word mean and what does that word mean to different customers? Um, you know, what constitutes a great relationship to a customer? you know, becomes really interesting. And once you start to go into that world, you can then start to figure out, well, how can I align to the types of characteristics, values, mindsets, whatever we'd like to talk about, you know, in order to try and be more successful with, with my client. And that's quite a sophisticated process of doing that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, 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 Sort of in my book, Sell Without Selling, I you know, stayed yeah. away from the term relationship. Uh, you did. Somewhat yeah. deliberately. Yeah. And talk about connection, right? Yeah. It's because, unfortunately, again, I think too many in sales get hung up on this idea of a relationship being a friendship. But you need to, when you look at the definition of what a relationship yeah. means, it says it's the way two or more things or people are connected yeah, and yeah. So, and so I thought, well, let's just cut that out of the argument, right? That's it's, great. It's fundamentally, that's what we're doing. We're yeah, finding yeah. a way to connect. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's really great. And I, th- I think it just shows the importance of words, doesn't it? You know, it actually does. sort of getting yes. to the essence of a, a particular word. And it, it takes a matter. long time. It, uh, it really does matter. Well, I mean, I one, think, without, without getting off track, I mean, one of the ones that I, you know, have a hard time with and talk about is you know objections it's yeah. like buyers aren't objecting to anything i mean it's not like in a courtroom it's like oh i find that you know objection your honor or you know i find that objectionable it's like well, no <laughs> they don't find your pricing objection they don't care that much right it's like yeah but we use these words that people look at and think oh my god they object i have to be defense i have to go on the defensive now right yeah 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 no, you're absolutely right. I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it's it's really interesting, and 
you know, it, it take yeah, it takes I think it takes a long time to be able to sometimes come up with the word that expresses exactly you know what is meant or what you mean. And yeah. and, it's and time for uh, us to rethink some of these words and rethink. I mean exactly. Exactly. I mean yeah, that's why I go for connection versus relationship just because yeah. no, I think it helps brilliant. people conceptualize it yeah. better, what they need to do. Yeah, I mean, you've got connect. I... Sorry. Yes, go on. No, go ahead. You... <laughs> I was going to say, so around connection, you've also got connected as well. And yes. you can, you know, you can start to look at how such words can be used to, to kind of express um, not only relationships, but also how you bring solutions to bear, how you connect. Yeah, exactly. There is products exactly. and solutions to what customers are looking for. So, okay. So what other words you're about to go on? Oh, well, <laughs> and this is you know, a complete digression, but it's okay. <laughs> it's like the word hunter. Yes. Okay. Right. Now yeah. I come part of the United States and the upper Midwest, Wisconsin, where yes. deer hunting is, is, you know, sort of the, the state sport. Yeah, and yeah, during deer season, you see people (laughs) driving on cars with deer carcasses on the back and so on. But so we use this term hunter. Yes. But when you read about how people, by and large, for the most part, hunt deer, is they find a place in the woods and they build a deer stand. Yeah. So they're in one place and they go out and put. Uh, like doe urine or some other attractant lure on trees and bushes nearby. And they wait for the deer to come by. Yeah. Now, as I like to say, what does that sound like? That sounds like inbound, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, yeah. I mean, and that's the most popular form of hunting in the United States is deer hunting and people, yeah, is wait for the prospects to come in and and then you know deal with it. Similar well, with I, I wonder. I mean, one of the one of my uh, favorite sports is fly fishing. Mm-hmm. So let's just examine that because with fly fishing, you don't stand still on the bank. Yeah, you have yeah. to find your fish. Right. It's really quite interesting. I mean, a lot, uh, you know, when people draw analogies between sport and sales, and of course there's so many analogies, I actually think fly fishing's not a bad one to consider. You don't have the team aspect necessarily right. with fly right. fishing, but the process is really interesting because you have to find your fish. You have to find your sales opportunity. And sometimes you see through the clear water, you see the fish below and you then mm. need to work out what is that fish what type of fly is that fish going to take yeah so mm. you then have to from your fly box select the right fly you well, then have to what land you're, saying, though, is you're looking at it from the fish's perspective exactly you yeah <laughs> here you go you know and sometimes you have to read will the fish take the fly from the left or the right yeah and then you need to try and get your fly to land on the water either to the left because sometimes a fish can be blind in one eye and they will only take from the left sometimes i'm not saying it's it's often but if the fish is not feeding it is no matter what fly you put on the water the fish is not gonna take yeah so and it's the same with sails you know 
if the buyer is not at that moment ready to buy, no matter what you're going to do, is going to make them buy. So it's interesting. I, yeah, I agree. Another you know, another another set of words. Another set idea. of words, but it, it's very interesting. Yeah, the thing that you don't have with a fly fishing analogy for sales is, um, you know, the the concept of team. Yeah, because it's right. very much an individualistic pursuit. You're not working with others. And I think sure. a lot of selling today is actually involved in collaborating, not just with the customer, but actually how you collaborate internally. Um, so that's the bit. That's why I don't use the fishing analogy. But because you brought up deer, I thought I'd bring Sorry. up my my, my four pound trout. <laughs> so. Well, getting back on on track. Though, on is, track is is because again we're saying importance of looking at buying selling from the the buyer's perspective yeah is i'm interested in your take on this is yeah i i look at selling and sort of a the lens of jobs to be done right is that the buyer is hiring the seller quote unquote hiring to help them make a decision yeah i mean otherwise why would they talk to a seller Right, so you Correct. talk to someone to help you get something done. Yeah, yeah. So when you look at it from that perspective, so you're basically hiring the seller to help them make a decision. Well, when you hire someone, what what do you need them to be? What are the attributes they need to have Correct. in order to be able to help you? Yes, there's a wonderful quote from one of the people we interviewed, which is, um, "I want a salesperson, but I don't want them pointed at me." Mm -hmm. I want him pointing back inside his own organization. Mm -hmm. I want him to leverage my power and my weight back in his organization so I can get a a better solution, so I can get uh, a better deal across all points of engagement. And I think that was very interesting. So he had this perception of, of the, you know, to your point of hiring, it, you know, it absolutely fits that, that, you know that wonderful that wonderful quote from from the interview and then you get into all sorts of other sort of um uh sort of conversations about power and weight and authority mm. and and also leadership right um as well um so yeah when we start to talk about relationships you know we begin to see there's a you know there's a whole sort of complex structure of things that potentially a, a buyer is looking for. I need, I need you to be me inside your company in order to get us the kind mm -hmm. of deal that would make us want to buy your solution. And right. I'm going to evaluate you and everything that you do, you know, to what extent do you meet that criteria? Well, I'm do interested you know in your research, whether you found, because I've been working with some data provided by... Um, an Australian-based company called Trinity Perspectives uh, that's done large, large number of win-loss analyses, interviews with yes. you know, enterprise buyers. And, you know, they've summarized their data into sort of the nine reasons why you win deals, nine reasons why you lose deals. Okay. That's... And based on these thousands of interviews and... Nowhere in there does it talk about the product, <laughs> the functions, the features, right. the price. 
it's yeah. it's the in the main it's the buyer's experience with the human seller yeah well that that doesn't surprise me yet probably the reasons why most salespeople give for why they lose business is to do with maybe price or product right i didn't have product. this price this product or this price and so yeah on. yeah exactly Absolutely. right okay that's interesting and it doesn't surprise me yeah doesn't well, surprise me either because I, uh, I had similar conversations with I remember one in particular with um, one of the heads of the large deal pursuit team teams out in America uh, with with HP um, mm-hmm. and and he was he was talking about win loss reviews and 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 he was saying it you know when you study all the win loss reviews that they've done they've you know they've come to the conclusion that it's only about relationships. It's not quite only, but it, you know that's right. the standout reason why they they lose deals. And and he was bemoaning the fact that often you know the reasons that are given are others, but actually it's not. Right. So I'd, I would totally concur. Be really interesting to know what the nine the nine negatives and the nine positives were, but maybe oh. maybe that's for another, uh, I don't know, conversation or are we going to go off on another tangent there, do you yeah, think? Yeah, no, well, we, yeah, well, <laughs> unfortunately I can't show the slides on the audio podcast, but... Um, yeah, yeah, of course. I'll, no, I'll sounds, share them with you. Sounds interesting, but I'd, I'd be very surprised if they're dissimilar to the kind of things that came out of... Um, oh, they're the, not at the, all. I mean... The, the doctorate, yeah. Yeah, they're not. I mean, I think that, that um, when that data was shared with me and I look at the nine, nine reasons why you win. Yeah. Seven of the nine were directly reasons that I would call selling in that I wrote about in my book. Yeah. <laughs> and which is all about human centric selling and of the nine reasons why you lose five directly were okay. selling out behaviors. Um, right. So it's, it's, so I want to you know, pose a question to you cause you're in the, enablement business basically as a training training company and so on yeah is is sort of following what we talked before is is maybe enablement and from as it's done in most companies really has it all wrong and that they they sort of look at their customer quote-unquote customer as being you know the sales team or the sales leader but it's really their buyer and how often do our enablement people going out and talking to the buyer and saying like this company to win loss analyses and, and actually finding out the reasons about why they bought really understanding that. Yeah. What do they need their, what do buyers, what do their buyers need their sellers to be? Yeah. Uh, I think it's, it's, um, it's quite shocking. The, the lack of asking those fundamentally important questions of customers about how do they want to be sold to mm-hmm. and, 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 and how many decisions are taken at a sales enablement level, which are driven through again this this rather my, myopic lens of of uh, what I think the sales organisation should be doing in order to be more successful. Um, so, yeah, it's I, I don't know you know what what it will take to actually shift that mindset because I think it's a s- systemic problem, not just in, in enablement, but actually also. Um, it comes from the higher levels of, oh, yeah. of sales directorship levels or VP of sales. You know, they've got this picture of what good looks like, which bears no relation to actually what customers are wanting. And well, I think, 
yeah. So I, I here's <laughs> let me put something forward to you on this because okay. I just read a book this last week for uh, another uh, guest who's going to be on my show. A book called The Elevated Leader, written by uh, a gentleman named Ryan Gottfriedson, uh, who wrote a excellent book prior to that called Success Mindsets. And what he does, he breaks issue down to what he calls the problem is, is uh, and this is about developing leaders, but it applies broadly to the okay. selling as well. Yeah. He said the problem is that most, and I'll put in the sales context, most sales training is about what he calls horizontal development, which okay. is sort of skills-driven yeah, yeah. training, right? Yeah, yeah. And he said but the problem is, is that in order for people to adapt to rapidly changing environments that we all live in, is it's not about increasing their skill set, where there's you know <laughs> diminishing marginal return on that investment. Yeah, is it's about helping people develop what he called the cognitive and emotional sophistication. Yes, to be able to handle more complex environments. And, and I thought, well, that really summarized, and that's where uh, the audience, I sent Phil a, a, a chart that I had developed uh, yes. to try to describe this is that, yeah, we, we're investing in this horizontal development in sales. We think it's more about skills. Let's keep training people on skills, skills, skills. And it's really not about skills. It's really about these human attributes, values, as you call them, um, I that think enable you to... To yeah. operate and the challenge becomes how do we train those things? Yes, yeah, the, I, you know, it's it, I, I think you're absolutely sort of right, and it's been, I think, you know, similar to our observations. The, the framework that we have is a framework developed by a, a Dutch professor, which is uh, um, uh, Professor Corthagen, and he describes an onion. And in the onion, you have at the center your soul, and then round your soul, you have your identity then your mission then values and beliefs and then you have competence and then you have behavior and then mm -hmm. you have the environment and he his argument is if you're looking for transformation is that you need to have all of these sort of layers of the onion aligned you know you right if you have someone whose mindset and belief systems or character traits you know using the terms that that you refer to you know if 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 they're not aligned with the kind of behaviors that you need in this world in order to succeed um then you're going to struggle um so so against that sort of framework you mm -hmm. then got um in a world which is changing so quickly and it, you know it's interesting in the old days it used to be about technology and how that's changing so quickly um, but actually, you can put layers on top of that now with things like the pandemic, the Ukraine right. war, which changes context so quickly. Yes. Um, you sort of, you, 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 you need to be able to develop yep, fundamental skills of thinking, which you've broken it down into cognitive and emotional. I mean, we don't, we haven't broken it down in that way, but the term that we use is around critical reflection. It's not being critical, but it's actually the ability to think. Yes. And that arguably one of the most important traits that anyone needs to learn now is simply the ability to critically reflect and to think. And it's not as, it's not easy to do because 
you are influenced often by what you know uh, right. and your past, which gives you a certain bias, a certain way of looking at the world. Right. And you tend to conform to those principles. To, to be a great critical reflector, you need to be able to let go of things that have potentially um, sort of driven the way you approach things and, and let come, you know, completely new ideas. And that, mm-hmm. that's that process of critical reflection, I, I would say, is one of the key skills that is taught on there's a difference between education and training, I right. would say, oh, is critical thinking. Yes. You know, and this is, you know, this is what we think is prob- arguably one of the most important attributes in today's world. And um, it's quite interesting when we look at the projects that the students do as a consequence of the sort of master's dissertation and so on, it's... And they do amazing stuff on a whole range of topics from emotional intelligence to predictive analytics or whatever Mm. it might be. But the fundamental skill that underpins everything is critical thinking. And it's that that they can apply to almost any situation and then sort of make make a, a fresh call to action based on that ability to stand back. Right. But to that point, though, is, and let's take, critical thinking or I use the term, you know, terms either conceptual thinking or divergent thinking. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's more almost as a skill or as a mindset, right? I mean, is, is, Oh, I think it's definitely can be, I mean, I, it it definitely can be, um, sorry. What comes first? (laughs) that's a really difficult one i I think sometimes you need to have a pivotal event that challenges your perception of of what is going to work or not like you may have lost a deal or you might have um you know i don't know a bereavement or you know there, there are things that happen in life that make you look at things in a different way and and when you start to look at things in a different way you get fresh ideas um, so, um, in my case, um, when I, when I was doing the doctorate, um, I was, I was challenged on my values and belief systems in a way that I've never been challenged before. Mm-hmm. And, and it was that, um, it, 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 and once I, I'd sort of, my eyes had been opened with this rather difficult conversation with one of my tutors. Um, I, I was then able, to use critical reflection at a level I've never used before. Mm-hmm. So, I, and and we uh, we teach this on our programs. There are different skills that you can have to get people to think differently, and um, not necessarily promote one particular philosophy or one particular idea, but actually teach people how to critically reflect. And you know, there there are formal modules on the on on some of the master's programs that we run that teach people just how to do that you know critically around data or around emotion or around how you feel and use that process to then come up with new ways of thinking there's appreciative inquiry there's 
Kolb's reflective psych. I'm just citing a few of them. Sorry. Yeah. I've got- well, but when you're talking, I mean, one of the things that that strikes me though is that, and I think this is one of the challenges in the sales world and B two B in particular yeah. is is this this idea of let's say critical thinking is <laughs> is that it's not really encouraged. No, it's no because okay, it's like no, why no, we don't want to we don't want to unloose. The beast, because if we teach our scholars <laughs> how to think critically about, you know, in customer situations, they're not going to stop when they think about, oh, this our you know beloved vaunted sales process we put together that's not really working. Uh, they're be thinking critically about that as well. <laughs> yeah, just trying to think how many how many job specs I've seen with the word critical reflection, you know, as a key as a zero? key competence. <laughs> yeah, zero. zero. Um, that's right, but but. Um, but but, it, but, but it, your values and yeah, you know, we'll go through your list of what yes. you found through your research. So negative values, positive values. But you know they, you know, let's just go with the positive values. It's, they align with this idea. So with the that's what struck me when I was you know, watching your videos and so on with the horizontal and the vertical development is is these are all vertical development issues. These are not skills based. No, they're not skills based. This is this is you as a human based. Yeah, um, and it's. It's where it's got to start, doesn't it? Right. And it's, it's like, got yeah, to, how do we... It's, it's pretty deep. It's got to start pretty deep. And well, and how, so the, I, it's the question, how do you do that? You know, yeah. can, how do you do that? And I think that there are, you know, different ways you can do it. So, you know, you can do it by getting feedback from customers about how they want to be sold to and then getting feedback about how you're seen as a salesperson. Yes. Um, you can do that by reviewing pivotal events in your sales career uh, where you've learned or or had a challenge and you could use an examination of that using reflective practice to you know to help you identify by the analysis of how you behaved what does it tell you about your values and your belief systems and so on um so there are different uh, different ways that you can um uh, sort of explore um it from a deep level, uh, and we would argue that that actually, that's where you need to start in any sales development program. You need to start at that level because unless you address the topic of sales performance uh, from that deeper level, um, how sustainable will will any oh, yeah. skills no. development exactly. be that sits on top? So for for us, it's the holy grail. It's the right, holy well, let me- grail. Let me run this bio then, just to get your thoughts on that, because I think I agree on yeah. what the approach you're, you're talking about is, and you alluded to this earlier when you're talking about the layers of the onion. Yeah, is I think one thing that's that's missing, and something this is an area we're going to be doing more and more work on, is I think it would it would, it would sellers should, sellers everybody. I don't know, stumbling over the words. Every salesperson has what I call a sales identity, meaning yeah. who they are as a seller. Now, to your point, they may not know how they're being received and perceived by the buyer, but I would, as a starting point, I would say they first need to know who they think they are as a salesperson. And that level of re- reflective critical thought 
doesn't take place. And I, I think every seller, as a starting point, should be able to say, like, in five words or six words, who they are as a seller, what their identity as a seller is. Yeah. And, and last point of that is just, and it's not, it's not sales culture. Yeah. I, I, I sort of had it with sales culture because I think that that's the story that companies tell themselves about how they sell. Okay. It has nothing to do with how they actually sell or how they're being perceived okay. and received by the buyers. <laughs> yeah. And it's this idea of individual sellers identity. You know, I, for me, I say, yeah, I'm a, Curious, creative, open-minded problem solver. That's that's sort of been my approach throughout my career. Yeah. Um, now, you know, I've had some feedback say, "Yeah, that's that's you're sort of aligned with who you are," and and so on. But yeah, I'm sort of conscious about the fact that that's that's what I am. That's my identity. That's that's the identity I want to have when I go out and talk to buyers. Um, and it's almost like, hey, you know, take a challenge. Is you know, write, write your identity as a seller on a, you know, post it. Don't stick it on your chest and walk around and go into client meetings with it. And how's Pretty, that align? Yeah. Yes, I think I think um, I mean you 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 know you talk about two terribly important things. One is is um, what do I what identity do you do you want to be? And, and having the wherewithal to be able to, um, define it. You know, I, I don't know how many people would be able to answer that question easily. They may give a sort of glib, you know, a quick right. off the cuff remark, um, about it. And then you've got the, um, the other, the other issue, which is, well, how do your customers perceive you maybe mm-hmm. against that particular framework? And it's, it's, uh, it, it's really interesting. Um, in some of the research that we've done where we've, we've got, where we talk about the, you know, the values and, uh, we, we, we invite people to, um, kind of rank themselves, if you like, against, uh, against the values. Mm-hmm. And then we ask the customers, you know, to rank the salespeople. I would say right. that, in 80% of the times, the difference is, is markedly different, <laughs> dangerously different. Yeah, I was going to say, profoundly different, <laughs> right. Um, actually, some, some, in some cases, you know, the customers rank salespeople more highly than the salespeople do against the, you know, the values that we would consider the values, uh, to be in, in what we define as a winner's circle. In some cases, they do, they're quite humble, you know, they, the way that they sort of, right. mark, but it's quite rare that you would see that. In some cases, they're pretty much spot on. But the majority of the times, uh, they're, they're quite a long way. And that's dangerous. That's yeah, well, so, that's, that is a, such a dangerous situation to be in. Well, and that's why I think this, this, this idea of identity and having people start to be conscious about yes understanding what their identity is even if it just as a starting point is is them putting on a piece of paper is or you know <laughs> noting somewhere in physical form this is who i think yes. i am yeah even that as what, a starting what, what, point you can then yeah. say okay well 
what's quite interesting is that when we right. when we start people on this journey of self because the first you know the one of the first modules of of any of the master's programs we run is based on um this self-awareness thing that we're now talking about and one of the very first things we do in the first morning is actually get them to draw a shield mm-hmm. and in the shield we ask them to draw things that have happened in their life that have shaped them as a person and we they're not allowed to use words it's just pictures um and they draw the shield and normally it's got happy smiley faces around family and it's got you know a few other uh you know they often very similar shields and um you know graphs that go like this looking at performing highly you know you tend to see very similar kind of and what we then do um and it normally happens later is we challenge them um with the depth of reflection that's gone into drawing that shield so we get them to do a shield right at the very beginning at the beginning of the journey and then once mm. they've gone through these layers of critical reflection we say well come back and let's draw that shield again now knowing what you now know and by that time they would have done jahari window exercises you know um they would have done some sort of self analysis but you know the very first module of of the I know I'm not here to really talk about masters programs but this is just <laughs> describing to you what we do because it it gets to the very it's about manage myself the very it's about how you manage your, you you can't you can't really sort of move on unless you've got those bases covered and it's yeah. quite often referred to as one of the most transformational modules in in what we do it's this this degree of going out being curious like you were saying um and not afraid to ask questions about themselves so that they can then shape who their identity is or if it's leadership what sort of leader are they perceived as and what sort of leader do they want to become you know it's it's where everything starts and then once you've got that bit sorted you can then do amazing things i think with in terms of development so i think right. you can you can teach people how to critically reflect and you, you you can teach people um you can give them skills and frameworks to help them do that um there's some that completely changed their identity as a consequence right. of it right there's some that do a bit of change and some that don't but it's it's always surprising me when you give people the space to be able to reflect and the time to do it and give them some simple frameworks sales people are bright you know they mm. they can figure things out um and of course if it's linked ultimately to this well how does your identity match with how you need to lead your sales organization or how do you need to sell to customers if it's key account managers you know you sort of open up a very fertile growth mindset approach if you like to how they then can develop and i i truly believe you can transform performance taking people through that kind of journey well i yeah i would agree but i think the challenge though is the way we're generally set up 
you know, from an enablement and training standpoint is yeah. Yeah, 180 degrees away from that. It is so far away, and and uh, it, it's a very it's it's a very long journey, I think, to to get this. Um, you know, we talked about sales as as a profession as a, a few uh, you know a few times. You know, people can you know fall into sales so easily, and we've talked right. about this before. Um, but actually, it, it is like you said earlier. It's a really sophisticated, complex business. It's fun. It's it's, it's got all of these great things going for it. You can make good money from it you know right. you can earn a good career but actually there's a lot to it and it it needs to be taken seriously as a as a function and uh, i think from from the sort of things that we're doing here is is the education as opposed to training is a big part of the answer mm-hmm. to that yeah a big well, a big big part yeah yeah, I mean, I think that that as you talk about the difference, the critical thinking, be the difference between training and education. I, I was using when we were launching our e-learning platform a few years ago. Um, it's currently on hiatus, but coming back. But yeah, our okay. our, our tagline was, uh, yeah, you you train pets, you educate people. Oh, train. <laughs> What I love about your approach is you're quite sort of uh, sort of controversial sometimes in some of your comments. Yeah, but I think you're absolutely right. People have an idea of you know sheep dipping or you know there's a particular methodology and approach, mm. and if you you apply it, then I th- I th- you know you're going to be enormously successful. But we know that 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 doesn't work. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, just so we're going to talk about the. You'd serve four negative values, four positive values yeah. that sellers need to need to yes. uh, bring to their interactions with with buyers. And I just thought I'd start with the positive ones. Um, you have authenticity, 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 client centricity, proactive creativity, and tactful audacity. Yeah, yeah. Nowhere in there is it. You know. Give a better presentation, ask a better opening line, uh, you know, handle an objection and, no. and so on. No. And it, it's these things, and I, I said I agree uh, with these absolutely, yes. is, is how do that really becomes, I think, the challenges, but also speaks to this idea that it's selling's very individualized and very. It, uh, yeah, it, it, it is, but it's it's a bit like the operating system, and then on top of that, you've got the applications that run on it. And if the operating system, you know, runs to certain principles of sure. operating, then it, every aspect of the sales process, whether it's prospecting or whether it's uh, qualification or a negotiation with a customer, you can. You can use the principles that underpin, you know, underpinned by these words to actually drive questioning, listening, behavior, you know. They, they simply are there all the time in the background, influencing everything that, that you do. And I think that's what's so interesting. You can layer on top of it any particular framework or technique. Um, uh, and uh, not every single one, but many. And, right. and it, 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 it works. But, 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 but I think that, um, and I think that's the beauty about, you know, the link between predictable behavior and values and, and belief systems. And that's why if you, you know, to this, this, 
the, the, the concept of culture or approach if a customer is looking for a salesperson to act in a certain way or deal with them in a certain way, they're going to be looking for values and beliefs. They don't care about methodology or how you're selling. They want to know, can they trust you? Are you going to right. yeah, work with me? Well, and if you've, yeah. well, I think you really nailed it, though, is, is uh, you know, talking about principles or yeah. you know, alternatively, we can say philosophy or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, we, we, I think, are suffering in, in the sales world from the sort of triumph of methods over principles. Yeah. And so, and how do we I, how do we overcome that, Andy? How's that overcome? How how does that? <laughs> well, that's that's right. The heart of the question, right? Is yeah. Is, I, I was just going to share this quote with you from okay. My favorite quotes from a uh, no, I think operated a guy that operated in the 20th century. Harrington Emerson was a business writer, right? And his quote was quote He said, "As to methods, there may be a million, and then some." But principles are few. Oh, I love that. The, the man who grasps principles can successfully select his own methods. The oh. man who tries methods ignoring principles is sure to have trouble. Oh, gosh. Isn't that a great quote? That is a fantastic quote. That is brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, and to me, that's, that's, that's it. Pro- that's what that's we talk about. problem right there. Yeah, it is. is. Yeah. We're all about methods. We're all about skills. But it's, yeah, it's, yeah if they're the, not undergirded by principles. But Howard Gardner, who wrote Five Minds of the Future, you know, right. um, you know, it was similar. You know, he was defining, you know, what, it, we don't teach people knowledge, you know, he is referring quite often to education. We need to right. teach people certain principles, and um, and I think it was, you know, I think he was one of the people when I when I was doing my research into sales that that had one of the biggest influences on on my work. It was five simple principles that he defined, and and he felt these should be taught at schools. Forget right. knowledge. Just teach principles, and yeah. uh, and let then the student use those to guide them in whatever area they want to investigate. And it, it you know it made a big impact. Yeah. Well, I I think that's that's absolutely right. I mean, I think the yeah. Um, I was talking to somebody on the show I don't know, a couple of years ago, uh, who basically you know was challenging me, challenging me, challenging you know people listening, is saying a sales writer saying we should just stop sales training, right? There's yeah. always too much, right? We do too much sales training. Yeah. Really thinking in the context of this is, is look, I mean, it's only so far we can sort of push this wet noodle up the hill with our nose. That's, you know, skills based. Is- and it's so, it's right. And it's, you know, you know, we, we sometimes get RFPs, you know, where we're asked to quote on a, a particular project, which is a skills based program. Mm. And then you and we had one the other day, yeah. And then they, they they you look at the RFP and they say, okay, we want questioning skills or listening or objection handling or whatever. Right. You, you know, you can see whoever wrote the brief, you know, sort of where their mindset is. And then they have in the criteria innovation as the thing that they value most. Yeah. So how do you respond to that? Yeah. Do you then challenge the brief and say, actually, you're asking the right. wrong, you're wrong bloody question. You have here. to. Yeah. So, or don't you, you see? So, um, and then if you give them something that they 
don't want to hear, you know, then you you risk losing it or or whatever. But you know, this is some sometimes the 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 issue that we have is that if you're true to your own beliefs and value system, you will challenge a brief and you will question. You know, are you asking the right question? But it's difficult because they've gone through months of coming together to form the RFP to have mm. someone say, "Sorry, you got it wrong." You know, it's, mm -hmm. you're fighting against a machine that has been entrenched, and it's it's quite difficult. It is, but, and that is the challenge. And I think that yeah, entrenchment starts at the very top of organizations. It does, yeah. That think that you know, by and large, sales is sort of this necessary evil. Yeah. And we need to do a certain amount yeah. to try to, to train the them. Box. Yeah. But, you know, beyond that, yeah, we're not going to be really terribly innovative. And yeah. not, you know, this whole idea of, yeah, how do we educate people about these principles is one. And how do we inculcate them into individuals? Because, yeah, yeah, start with authenticity. You had, or even the four that that I have in my book, which overlap this to some degree. Is, yeah, is, they do. There's a very is, close correlation. Yeah, how do you? Yeah, if you're asking a CEO, well, yeah, we we're going to do some. We need a little budget because we're going to do some authenticity training. <laughs> Bullshit. We're not going to do that. <laughs> you know, teach them to do better presentations. So it's like, yeah, well, that's not really the trade-off. Right? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Actually, their presentations become better if they're able to present them from a position of authenticity. I yeah. Mean, it's, it's this human element that continues to be the, the missing piece. Yeah. And that it we is. presume people have. And yeah. on one hand, we know that people buy from people. Yeah. Yet the way we enable and train is from the position of no, people buy from process, people buy product, people buy <laughs> features. <Yeah. laughs> it's like, yeah. There is, an, there is another layer, I think, that we haven't talked about and may not have time, but it, it's actually when you talk about sort of systems of ways of working, you've got this um, relentless pursuit of quarterly results. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think that's another dimension that influences hugely, sure. you know, individual behaviors. So sometimes we, you know, when we're talking to people, they say, well, I, I know I need to do this. I know I need to have more patience with how I work with customers to close a deal. But I've been asked to bring this $20 million deal from Q4 into Q3. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm doing. You know, there's a lot of pressure on me to, to do that. Mm -hmm. So it's not just sales. Well, I know that we haven't talked about that. It's not just, you know, sort of individual sales capability. It's the whole system of selling that, that, that needs to be looked at in order to, I think, drive the right kind of behaviors out there with customers, you know, the, the customers that customers want to see. And I think you identified one of the real challenges right there, which is, and I've had the same feedback to my book, where on multiple occasions from sales leaders saying, you know, I love this book, but, but. and I'm like, oh, so what you're saying to me is, <laughs> In order to hit your number, you have to be super salesy. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And, you know, it's like, whoa. <laughs> it's like, that's really a, a false trade-off. Yeah. Right? I understand yeah. there's there's an always an element in change 
when you're trying to make change is you know, this aspect of, you know, we're trying to fix the wings on an airplane in flight. But yeah. yeah, that's the challenge of change. And there's such inertia now to change in sales. And, and despite what Airbase wants to say is, oh, you know, we've got all this change in selling. It's like, no, we've, the, the accoutrement have changed, right? The yeah. technologies, the mediums we use. But yes, and way- it's, it's also about um, having enough opportunities in the pipeline to not have to be pressurized, you right. know, to, you know, to, to do things that, that the buyers may, may not, you know, want to see. And I think that's a part of, you know, part of the issue could be it's, it's, it's not that you need to teach closer, you know, be more salesy. You know, the fundamental problem is that you simply haven't got your, um, you know, pipeline flow right. You haven't got the opportunities that will allow you the space, you know, and allow the sales team, you know, the team, the space to do things correctly and in a way that customers want. So I think it, you know, it's a complex challenge. It is, yes. Yeah. Um, which can be addressed at different levels, but it's, it's where you have limited opportunities to hit numbers. That's when the pressure really gets mounted on and you end up with some pretty appalling sales behavior driven <sighs> by senior leadership. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but I think even, in instances where companies may be hitting their numbers, but certainly in sort of the SaaS world in particular, but yeah. subscription world is, you know, there's raging ineffectiveness of selling that takes place, low in rates occurring across the board, but they've sort of become wedded to this model, which is we know how to harvest a lot of opportunity at the top of the funnel. Yeah. Uh, we don't have to be that good because we'll close a certain low percentage of them, but that'll be enough. Right. Yeah. And that is a horribly damaging mindset as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah, arguably it's, it's going to be difficult for many of those companies, you know, with any sort of economic slowdown, they don't really know how to sell, right. (laughs) And sell effectively. (laughs) And, and I would make the argument that for, you know, if you're a company and you're, there was a study that came out in a book uh, you know, earlier this year that you know, average win rate across the world on deals 100K and higher is 17%, which, yeah, yeah. is not good. It's not good. And, and that's, that's something that really has to be yeah. addressed. Yeah. I, that, I think, is – and I think if, you, if your win rate is at that point, yeah, I would make the argument that you've got too many opportunities in your pipeline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have, so we have this issue of right-sizing what pipelines really should be and normalizing yeah, yeah. what win rates should be because those are out of whack completely right now. Well, interesting to, 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 to get any pointers in terms of the research that you're looking at. I'd be very interested to look at that in more detail. Yeah, yeah so... I'm sure you'll right. be sharing that. So thank you. Phil, always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure Chat. talking to you, Andy. Yeah. So if Never... people want to learn more about Consalia and you, what's the best way to do that? Well, the best way would be to um, probably go to the website, www.consalia.com. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we're pretty easy to find. Uh, and um, yeah, just 
get in contact with myself. I'd be very pleased to speak to anyone who's interested All right. in the conversation that we've had. Perfect. Well, we're gonna, we'll have another one. Oh, right. That was fun. Always good. Oh, great. Yes. So, I, you know, next time, I think we should talk about uh, predictive analytics. Oh, okay. Take me outside my comfort zone. If, yeah. if, if, you, if, you, if you'd like to. I, I think it's just a, a very interesting, yeah, how can you predict the future in a world that's becoming less certain? And I think it's, it's, it's an interesting topic. It is. I'm not, I, don't know, I don't know the answers, but I think it's a conversation that we need to, to have at some point. Yeah, I, I always, <laughs> always calls to mind the famous quote from Nils Bohr, the Danish physicist who was part of the Manhattan Project, um, who said, uh, per- paraphrasing, but it's, he said, you know, predictions are very difficult, especially about the future. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so... And- Yes, and and uh, just one other thing to add, uh, if we can, is is uh, we've talked a lot about mindsets. We have this mindset survey that's oh, really yes. available Please on the tell people about that. yes on 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 the website. If you're interested in in exploring any aspect of 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 values and belief systems, then um, click. You know, you can see it on the on the Consalia. Uh, website page click on the mindset it's free to use uh, you can even get perspectives through that uh, channel on customer perspectives as well so i uh, invite people to take part in the mindset survey cool all right excellent glad okay. you brought that up i encourage okay. people to do that and uh, phil until next time until next time thanks andy yeah thank you very much that's great Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank our guest, Phil Squire, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help with that. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.